Hello, everybody. It's uh, Christian Thwaites from Brian Janikowski, uh, Tuesday, December the 8th, uh, 2020. And what a, what a long year it's been. It seems like we've gone through multiple cycles of um, you know, ups and downs with the COVID, of course, and the economy and the markets and every other uh, challenge which has been thrown our way. Anyway, this is our final uh, webinar of the year, and it's nice to hear everybody. And there'll be plenty of chance for Q&A along the way. You can always use the chat or there should be a Q&A section going on in the um, on, on your panel. So we'll leave enough time for, for those as well. Um, so really, uh, will 2021 be better? Uh, I'll answer that. If, so if those of you who are busy, here's the, uh, here's the answer. Yes, uh, things will be better. Um, it, the, the market will certainly uh, be better, um, even though it's done pretty well from its lows. Uh, the economy will uh, undoubtedly be better and quite a lot better given the lows that it held. Uh, that it hit, uh, and I think we're we're likely to benefit from uh, an economic stimulus, the last one of which was back in March, April, and so we've been rather bereft of any fiscal stimulus since then, um, and really relying on monetary stimulus and everything else to, to work through uh, the system. So we will get all of those, and I think with that, I can confidently say that 2021 uh, will be a better year. Um, let me try and advance the slides now. Um, So let me try and uh, uh, summarize it. <clears throat> the labor market is the one which is in the biggest difficulty right now. It's, it's slow to recover. Obviously, it took a huge hit in, in April uh, and March, where we lost about 22 million jobs. Um, since then, we've recovered about 12 million of those. Um, so there's sort of 8 million to go, but about 4 million people have exited from the workforce. That's kind of a theme which we saw for many years after the GFC, more and more people sort of not coming into the workforce for various reasons. Uh, couldn't find a job, weren't qualified, weren't in the right place, couldn't relocate, um, were, had the wrong set of skills um, or home pressures. Uh, and that's kind of happened again this time. So we're still sort of 4 million jobs um, below where we could be. If you, if you include the, the people who've left the workforce, there are about 8 million uh, to go and, um, and things have slowed a little bit. But the third wave obviously hasn't helped uh, and we're in the middle of that one right now. And it's probably got a, you know, a few more weeks to write. Look, everything depends on the virus, uh, and the, but the vaccine is a game changer. And everything you've uh, read about the vaccines, and there seem to be at least you know three or four which uh, which are very close to FDA approval. Indeed, one of the uh, uh, one I think the Pfizer one, um, or maybe the AstraZeneca one, went uh, went went public in the UK, uh, and they they're not usually ones to rush approval of a of a vaccine. So um, it's coming here. In fact, um, I heard on the radio this morning that there will be, um, you know, there's some allocations already done, uh, being made to various counties around San Francisco. So it's here. It is a game changer. Yeah, sure. We don't know the long term effects of the vaccine, but uh, what the little that I've looked at, it seems to seem that it have a, a very good efficacy rate um, and, and it works pretty quickly, even without the uh, second booster. The Fed, uh, the Fed has really been the uh, uh, you know, the major game in town. I think at the end of the year, we shall raise our glasses to uh, Mr. Powell and his colleagues because they moved incredibly fast, as we all know, back in March, April, to make sure that there was no pr prolongation, elongation of a good monetary response to uh, what was a uh, economic uh, catastrophe. They're going, they, they uh, will, uh, if the financial conditions are good right now, there's no real reason for them to uh, put out more QE out there or more, um, purchases of other types of securities or to you know, signal any other kind of change 
in policy. Uh, there is a Fed meeting next week. We don't really expect them to do very much um, because the, the financial conditions are, are pretty pretty easy right now. Um, and they know that the fiscal uh, stimulus moves faster. Look, monetary policy, rule of thumb, usually takes about a year to work its way through the economy. It can have an immediate effect on things like valuations and mortgages, but in terms of lowering borrowing uh, and, and having people from re respond to lower borrowing costs, it takes much longer than fiscal policy. They know that. Uh, and so that's why you've heard a kind of relentless drumbeat from Powell and his colleagues Every time they're up in front of Congress, every time they're asked in public, you know, that the fiscal response will be faster and the sooner it comes, the better. But they'll continue to support the market uh, and I think do so in a very good way. The Congress, the talks are good. Of course, I'm not privy to these, but we've kind of gone from this 500 billion uh, lowball to the 2 trillion high level number. They seem to be settling in around about 908. That's all not... Net new money is about 500 of that, which came from uh, money not used in the CARES Act recovery. In fact, that was the money that was, uh, you know, brought yanked back from the Federal Reserve uh, a couple of weeks ago by Treasury Secretary Mnuchin. So, but that's still money which has been unspent. It was meant to be for market support programs. I won't go into whether the Treasury should have done that uh, with the Fed. Probably not. But anyway, the money is back uh, in the in in the pot for. Um, for, uh, uh, for other kind of stimulus package. So that plus the original um, McConnell uh, base number, you know, should lead to a number about 908. But obviously we look every day and uh, we're not kind of sure when, when, off, when's that, when that's coming. I would say though, that we're gonna get something in the, in 2021, early 2021. And uh, if it's 500, that's, a, that's um, uh, about, 2% uh, of GDP, and if it's bigger than that, then uh, then that's still going to provide a fairly good fairly good bounce to the market. The economic stats, uh, they'll all be better by Q2. They'll probably start getting better in Q1, but right now we're in the kind of trough of the third wave, and this winter is going to be tough, um, you know, whether it's things like retail sales or uh, housing or manufacturing, um, and certainly employment are all going to be sort of tested, I think, for the next uh, uh, six weeks or so. Uh, but the rebound will be quick. Um, this is, remember, we've talked about this before, this is not a recession caused by a financial shock. Nearly every other major standard recession, something that I can think of you know, going back 100 years, um, is normally caused by some sort of excess in the market, whether it's borrowing for housing in 2008 or tech stocks and, you know, and people borrowing to be in the market in 1999. All the way you go back there, there's usually some sort of uh, asset price bubble or financial condition uh, meltdown, which leads to a recession, and this is not the case here. So uh, that's why it fell so quickly, but it also means that it's likely to come back much more quickly than prior recessions, because uh, there hasn't been a lot of uh, destruction of uh, capacity uh, and manufacturing and industries. Um, again, we keep on coming back to the labor, labor market being the uh, very weak link here. There is, uh, we've talked about this before, it's very, very important this, the consumer savings have absolutely skyrocketed. So we're seeing this in, um, in the thrift and savings and also in the M2 money supply, that's a bit esoteric, but basically that's cash available for spending. Um, and those have really uh, gone up to a level, I'll show you in a chart in a minute, which is unprecedented. So there's excess cash that consumers have, they've saved uh, any kind of benefits which they might've been entitled to if they weren't unemployed. Um, or, and, and spending has been cut way back, uh, partly because of uh, thrift concerns, but also because of uh, less opportunity to spend money in the way that we used to. 
Um, so there's a lot of excess cash um, in, in the system and there's very low debt. We just saw another round of the consumer debt numbers, although people are taking out mortgages, fairly prudent rates, fairly prudent levels too. Uh, the consumer debt seems is, is really not accelerating at all, whether it's for credit card debt or uh, auto loans or uh, any other kind of fixed term loans. So the, the consumer is not um, uh, uh, you know, burdened with a high level of, of debt on their, on their savings, which is certainly what we saw in 2008. The headline employment will sound good. We saw a downtick last week, the unemployment rate from 6.9 to 6.7. I'd say don't, don't pay too much attention to those. Those are more there for bragging rights. The Fed has made it very clear. Sorry, the, uh, the, the Department of Labor, BLS, um, have made it very clear that uh, those numbers are probably understated. What you want to look for is the um, U6 unemployment, which is about 12%. That's much a be much better read of uh, how how much lack there is in the in the employment economy and, it, and the numbers now are distorted by people answering the surveys wrong or moving from one type of uh, unemployment uh, benefit program to another if they've run out of their 26 weeks of uh, state unemployment benefits they're moving over to the PUA program talk about this in our weekly blog quite a lot um, and so they're not being caught necessarily as being uh, unemployed or they misidentify themselves as being unemployed uh, so the headline number will sound better than it actually is uh, there's still a lot of slack in the labor market I think risk assets were going to continue to do well. We thought they were going to do well post-election. Uh, they have, <laughs> and I think that's just um, some, it comes back to the stimulus expectations. So the vaccine news helped a lot. Also just the level of uncertainty dropped quite a bit. So I think they're going to continue to do well in 2021. We said that post-election concerns were probably not materialized. That was a bit of a, uh, a wing and a prayer, uh, but it has been the case and there's been you know, the markets are not paying a heck of a lot of attention to the various um, uh, court cases and suits and arguments with the uh, electoral uh, roles and commissioners in the various states. We could all get surprised by something weird going up to the Supreme Court, but um, at the moment that doesn't seem to be that, uh, that likely and certainly the market's not paying a lot of attention to it. Um, okay. Just a kind of reminder of, uh, you know, these are different drawdowns that we've had. So from peak to trough. So 2007, 2009 was a big one. So was the one before it uh, down 45% and 54%. And this, uh, this time it was down about 33%. But that snapback um, a year later is on average about 22%. And we've had 62% uh, since the bottom in March 23rd, 2020. So obviously, I think, you know, the three years later and the uh, the other column, the five years later, you know, obviously going to be, you know, positive. Um, that 62% number obviously you know, bigger than all of those there, but that comes back to the fact that this recession was caused not by a financial condition, not by the Fed ratcheting up rates and trying to halt the economy from overheating. It was all to do with a kind of a, uh, a withdrawal of, of labor um, through the close down. So again, I'll, keep, I'll, uh, I'll make this point because I think it's very important is that you know, we kind of see ourselves in these terrible economic numbers where the, you know, the historical numbers look, uh, the numbers look pretty bad by historical methods, but the, it happened quickly and the snapback will, will happen quickly as well. And it's already shown up in the stock market. So um, look, the cavalry is on its way. Um, the, this is uh, Margaret Keenan. Uh, you won't know her, but she's in the uh, UK and uh, she got the first vaccine jab uh, I think uh, this morning or yesterday. 
Um, and so this is, you know, being being rolled out. This uh, I I think in the UK they're sort of obviously trying to vaccinate the kind of triage of people who are most exposed, so elderly, frontline workers, so on, those with uh, you know other types of conditions. The kind of you know the triage you would expect when it comes to you know vaccination, where there's for now somewhat of a limited supply. But but this is this is coming. I don't know when it's going to come to the US, but this is real. And um, I think you know is a is a very you know, been an important part of why the market has done well over the last uh, few weeks. Uh, um, I have a few problems seeing my screen on top of all the other stuff that's floating around. But um, so uh, if, just apologize if I'm not quick off the mark on this. But so there you can see the U.S. You know definitely had its uh, third wave. You see my mouse here, but here we go. This is the uh, seven-day rolling averages of cases per 100,000. So we had 20 uh, initially back, uh, you know, uh, the first wave. Obviously, a lot of this was in the Northeast. Uh, you know, and here's the second wave, which happened uh, in the um, uh, 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 early fall and summer. Uh, and then this is the third wave, which is kind of underway right now. So, yeah, the U.S. is um, clearly uh, uh, leading here. Um, these other countries, uh, I think, snapped down. A little bit more severely. Um, they've also got, you know, much more unified healthcare systems and so on. So these can roll down pretty quickly. Uh, but the U.S. is probably going to. Uh, I'm not really going to talk about the COVID track uh, tracking data very much because I, I don't know. Other than we all know that it's over 200,000 in hospital beds or in short supply. But I think that the general consensus is is we'll start to roll off uh, a little bit. But we're right in the middle of the. Of this third wave, which is why the economic numbers are going to look pretty poor uh, for the next uh, few weeks. Uh, we also bring up this one up because the, the, these are the states which uh, really didn't have much to worry about for most of the COVID COVID period. Um, and then we, uh, you know, depending on your point of view, they it just eventually kind of got to them, or um, that super spreader event which we talked about last time in Sturgis in South Dakota began to hit these states. Uh, and they were very ill-prepared for it, but they too have come down. Now the graph is, these are relatively smaller states. It's got the two Dakotas here, aren't showing up, but Nebraska, Wyoming, and Wisconsin, obviously pretty big. Um, but again, that seems to be, uh, you know, in a better place than it was uh, just a few weeks ago. So uh, that's, that's, that's a good sign too. Um, I'm, some of these slides you'll recognize from the prior talks, because really, uh, this is a kind of continuation of a theme which which we've been seeing uh, since since the summer, and it's all kind of incrementally helping the situation. So here's the Fed. The growth of the balance sheet has definitely tapered. Uh, they're not, a, even though they're buying about eighty billion dollars of treasuries a month. That's on. That's uh, going to continue. Another forty billion dollars of mortgage-backed securities. Um, they haven't increased that rate, and we don't really expect them to. Uh, so the level of uh, of uh, you know annual change here has sort of been relatively flat. But that's good. The um, you know the, they're they're continuing to buy at those rates, plus they're reinvesting all the coupons uh, that come out of these bonds. But for, uh, but but for now, you know they'll resume if they have to at a higher rate. But they're continuing to uh, support uh, the bond market fairly aggressively. This, I think, is um, actually I'll flip to this one is and it's a bit messier, this one. But this is the, the two curves down here shows what the what the Treasury uh, yield curve is. So this basically measures 
what you might have to pay for for one month money, which right now is about 12 basis points, all the way up to 30 year money, which is right now about 1.68%. Uh, um, these are just the changes uh, since um, since July. And these are pretty small. As you can see, the, 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 the front end of the curve, what we call one month, three years, is basically unchanged. Um, the Fed, this is mostly where the government borrows its, its debt from. You know, they tend to sort of buy, uh, borrow in the treasury market, about 60, 70% of all the net borrowings are in, are in three years or below. So there's much more of those than there are uh, longer term bonds. So those really haven't changed. And the Fed can control the short term rates through the Fed funds rate, you know, very, very, very closely. The long term rates have ticked up a little bit. And I think that's, um, first, we've got to remember ourselves where we are on the graph. You know, the 10 year was at 68 basis points. That was a kind of a 68, a, sorry, a seasonal uh, low. It's gone up to 92, which sounds a lot. But these, um, you know, there's, uh, I don't think it's implying that, um, the Fed is going to tighten, that the economy is about to take off, or that inflation is, you know, getting anywhere near the Fed's targets. This is just more of a little bit better um, uh, optimism. We saw equities go up and then you know, bonds go, uh, yields uh, go up at the same time. There's, in, in a good market, that's what you want to see. You want to see, you know, equities rise and, and, and bond, yield, bond yields tick up because it usually shows that there's a demand for credit. But really, this is pretty much unchanged. Um, it, it looks a little bit more dramatic. What we don't want is, uh, this is what we almost had last year, or 2018. This is this up at the top here. Hopefully, we'll never see that again in our lifetime. But this is where you have an inverted yield curve. Uh, and that's really bad news. We had a little bit down here as well uh, in, uh, in, uh, in, in July 20, 2019, where pe people thought that the, um, the various trade uh, uh, tariffs were going to create uh, a recession or at least a slowdown. Uh, but anyway, so we're not in, we're, we're in a nice positive yield curve. This black one is really what you want to see, you know, it's where it's kind of nice and steep. And that's one from 2018. But this is where we are right now. And I'd say this is what the Fed's going to continue to look at and manage to. Um, again, uh, when the Fed came out in August, uh, they, they mentioned that they wouldn't be adjusting rates uh, unless they saw employment, uh, what they, unemployment at about 4.1%. Seems a strange number to pick, but that's what the consensus was. You take the averages of all the 12 uh, voting members plus the other Federal Reserve chiefs, they all came out with a number which averaged to 4.1%. It was what they thought was the long-term natural rate of unemployment. And then, and then the 2% inflation rate, you can see that, you know, going back to 1954, you've only had four occasions where You've been below 4% unemployment um, and above 2% on the CPI. So we're so far away from that. You know, inflation ticked down a lot, as you'd expect it to, um, uh, in, in the summer and, you know, uh, post the immediate, the immediate waves of COVID. Uh, and of course, um, you know, the unemployment number we've already talked about. So even if we just take the headline one, which I think is, uh, is very understated, there's a very big gap between these two numbers. So. Every time the Fed, you know, every time any one of the Fed speakers comes on, they talk about, uh, they're asked about uh, raising interest rates. They tend to come back to this and say, no, we don't see any reason to, to do it. So, um, uh, uh, and even recently when they've been asked about yield curve control, which is about them buying bonds further out on the curve, which would have an effect on the bond market, uh, slightly negative effect, uh, they've, they've really come kind of back to this and said, no, we don't see any reason to, uh, to, to change rates, certainly on the upside.
Um, and, and there we have it. I mean, uh, the, the, the number to look here is the, is the black number. So that's the, that's 0.93% on the 10 year uh, as of uh, today. Um, and it's, it's certainly risen up from the lows of about 55, 60 basis points in midsummer. But I'd say, look, look at the range. We're really kind of back where we were um, at the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, you know, a lot of this is kind of trading noise. And again, I don't think really indicative of any kind of major trend in the bond market, which we expect to, you know, yields to remain low. Uh, the deficit, um, you know, I grew up when there was sort of the, 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 the horror of the twin deficits was used as a, uh, as a stick to beat the market nearly every day. That goes back to the 80s and it was the trade, it was the current account deficit actually, which was the trade, trade deficit plus services plus some other uh, invisibles, um, plus the budget deficit. Um, so it definitely has taken a hit, uh, but it was also already on a bad uh, trend given the tax cuts in the beginning of 2018, which uh, I won't go over those again, except they were exceedingly ill-timed and ill-judged, but uh, and it had almost no effect on the on economic growth. Um, but here we are at the budget deficits at about 9.7. I would say this is one of the least things to worry about, um, partly because number one, uh, it, it, you know, worrying about the budget deficit right now when the economy is, is so weak is really you know putting. Uh, the cart before the horse and really not getting the priorities right. The budget deficit can be financed, can be sustained, can be managed. We really need to get the economy going. So that's the first reason. Second reason, of course, is that interest rates are incredibly low. So, uh, you know, why not borrow uh, long-term when you can borrow at about one point, well, at least 1% below the inflation rate? Um, so you're, 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 you've got negative real rate, rates of interest uh, and interest payments as a percentage of GDP by the federal government, I think is one of the lowest I've ever seen. So even though the budget deficit is, the budget is, uh, the deficit is, uh, depending on which measure you use, we, we like to use the one which is used by the, the public as opposed to the total deficit, some of which is held by the Social Security accounts. Um, it's about 20, 21 trillion dollars, but the dollars, the, but the percentage, uh, the, the rates on those are incredibly low. So it's really not a big line item on the, uh, on the, on the government budget uh, every week, month when they have to pay interest on it. Um, so uh, I don't think that's a, a, a source of worry. And um, uh, I'd be more worried about this. Now, you know, if, if people see a direct line between the budget deficit and interest rates, then you just got to point to Japan and say, well, here's their budget deficit, which started out at about you know, 80% of GDP and is now 245% of GDP. And interest rates went down from about 8% uh, to zero. Uh, and they've been zero to negative for most of the last decade. Now, we're not even anywhere near this number. We're, uh, we're at about 100%, which you might say, oh, well, you know, 100% is still pretty high, but it's, you know, it's, it's way down here. Um, so. What you don't want to have enough exists because this is really, um, you know, an economy which is, uh, which is well, the, the employment is shrinking in in Japan. Sorry, the uh, the population is sh shrinking in Japan. They've had incredibly low rates, uh, interest rates, um, and really they've been, you know, trying to prime the pump to get the economy going for some years now. And they haven't been able to do it. Uh, the U.S. doesn't have the kind of demographic problems that Japan does, at least not yet. Probably not going to have it in my lifetime. So. Uh, um, I'd be more worried about a situation like this where, you know, rates just um, w w stayed low because they just can't put enough fuel into the, the economy. That's certainly not the American problem. Now, flipping over to the labor market, you know, it, the, the, it's been a slow climb back. Uh, as I mentioned, we 
you know, the claims we lost, um, we lost 22 million jobs in the space of two months on the payroll numbers. These are the claims. They don't add up because the people come in out of the claims numbers and people might have multiple claims because they, they claim once, go back to work, claim again. But anyway, you can see the trend uh, and apologize for the log scale. So we saw this 6.8 million. Um, yeah, remember the record before that, the record month of, uh, of, of claims were about tied. One was in 2007, one was in 1981, where the, the labor force was quite, quite a lot smaller, but those numbers were under 700,000. So, so these numbers like 6.8, 6.5, all the way down to here is where we are now. You can see things have leveled out a bit. Now these numbers are still pretty bad. And I think this has been part of the um, third wave story that we haven't seen much improvement really in these numbers since um, uh, for the last uh, couple of months. And these are still very, very high by, by, um, by historical standards. So there's gonna be a low uh, climb back to get the labor market where it is. Uh, this is another one, so I had to break these up because uh, the, otherwise the graph looked ridiculous. But here's the 22 million, and if you add all these up, you get about 12 million. You can see that 245,000 jobs. People are expecting more like 600,000. Um, I think December is going to be a weak number to the, the the payroll survey for December, which will be published on January the second or something like that. Uh, the survey week is next week. Uh, and we know from various other kind of data that um, the, the employment numbers haven't really ticked up very much. So we're going to see another month of uh, uh, of pretty weak payroll numbers. I mean, there is one silver lining in there that it should get the Senate um, and Congress and whoever's in charge of the White House a little bit more concerned that you know the 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 the, 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 the unemployment number is not going to budge very much, <laughs> and uh, we're not kind of creating jobs at the level we should be. Um, I think this will begin to turn around quite a bit, uh, you know, in, in the in the end of the first quarter, the second quarter. But for now, it's one of the big issues. Here's the 12% unemployment rate I was talking about earlier. This is the headline one. That one I think is uh, is understated by quite a bit. This is really what I would look at in terms of uh, capacity for the for the market to grow. So you've kind of got, you know, uh, a lot more people who could enter the market into the labour market. I also took a snapshot of this of just the ratio of employed people to unemployed. Uh, and so this, you know, basically the way to read this is, you know, up at the peak here, we had about 28 people employed for every one person unemployed. Uh, and it went down to, uh, you know, six in no time at all. But it's doubled now and uh, you know, it's about 14. And you can see that that's way below the average, but, um, you know, it's sort of heading into the right direction. And not to be too brutal about it, but GDP is decided by the number of people in employment, not in unemployment. So, so as this number gets better, we'll start to see the GDP numbers um, um, improve. Uh, so again, this is um, you know, low by historical standards, but a pretty decent V-shape, probably the best one here. Um, so that's, that's encouraging. <clears throat> the, uh, the GDP numbers, again, uh, pretty horrendous, down five in the second quarter, down 31 in the second, uh, sorry, down 5% in the first quarter, down 31%. Ridiculous numbers. These are annualized. Remember, these are not, it doesn't mean that the economy fell 30%. It's just annualized. So roughly it equates to um, about 5% reduction in GDP. But we've made some of that back with this 33% increase right here. And the latest um, uh, numbers um, sh should show about a 4% to 5% increase um, in, the, uh, in the fourth quarter. But... Uh, 
uh, now look at other countries like Japan, um, a lot of Europe, it's the worst recession they've ever had. But actually, this doesn't even, is it only in the top eight? I think uh, I was looking at it earlier. The, um, there were much worse recessions. I mean, not that it's a heck of a lot of um, comfort, perhaps, but the, the numbers um, in, uh, in, there were worse numbers in 1920, 1932, 46, and so on. So, we, so um, it's, it's kind of a testament to the strength of the US economy that you had one of these worst blows and it still wasn't as bad as it had been in prior years, uh, which means that I think you know, the economy coming back uh, pretty quickly is again, likely to happen. So uh, overseas, they had a, they've had a bigger hit, one of the record hits to GDP. Uh, here, it's bad, but it's not a record one. And again, it happens so quickly that I think some of the snapback is gonna be equally quick. Um, kind of coming off the last slide, you know, where are we in terms of expectations for the current quarter? Well, the Atlanta Fed puts out almost a, a weekly, daily, depending on what the economic data is, estimate of what the GDP is going to be. That's why it's called the GDP now. They literally say it's called oh, GDP right now. And they've had a pretty good record back here. They've overstated it. Uh, you know, here they were thinking it would come out of 4% and the actual GDP was about 2 They got this bit right. Um, and right now they think it's about 11%. I think it'll, they'll shave that down a bit because they take it off data, which they see, um, you know, which comes up um, every, uh, every week. Uh, and some of the most, most recent data is probably like to show a downturn. Um, but still, if it's not 11%, it'll be more like, you know, seven or 8%, which after, which is again, not gonna get us back to where we were, but this is a fairly good sign about the economy. Again, coming back, more quickly than a lot of people expect. Um, I'm going to leave that one. Um, and this is what I was referring to earlier about the personal savings side. Very, very important. The blue number is, you know, shows about $2.3 trillion in, uh, in savings. Um, this is cash available through uh, basically savings accounts at thrifts and banks. It's not hidden away in money market funds. It's not, um, it's not, um, you know, almost cash like treasury securities, pure cash. And that means that people can access it very, very quickly and, you know, go on, go on spending once they feel confident about it. Um, so that is unprecedented. We've never seen it as a percentage, uh, you know, as a percentage of GDP. I haven't shown that number here, but it's the highest it's ever been by a very, very long way. And also, uh, you know, as a percentage of monthly retail sales, for example, it's also, you know, way ahead of any number it's ever been. Short answer, people, have, if they had unemployment benefits, they tended to save them, especially the supplemental ones that were available to them. And if you're in work, people generally, you know, saved <clears throat> as much as they could if they were a little bit fearful about uh, job losses or indeed because they didn't have the same opportunities to spend in the same, uh, same way as they do. We all know what's happened in the service-related economies. And this is the savings rate, 13.6. It spiked at nearly 30%. Uh, you're, there's a couple of uh, misleading articles uh, I've come across which says that people are drawing down their savings. They're absolutely not. You don't draw down your savings unless this number, this, this yellow line uh, goes below zero. Then that's when people are literally spending more than they're earning. But as long as that savings rate is positive, it means that people are you know, taking a certain amount of their uh, wages, income, and saving it. Now, that sometimes it's as low as 5%, but right now it's about, you know, 13% down from its peak. But again, people are still uh, adding to this, um, to this level of, of overall savings in the economy. So 
You know, why is it important again? Because uh, along with the fact that there's very low consumer debt, it means that people can come back very quickly to spending if they feel confident about it, and they will eventually. Uh, that's the same. Yeah, it's the same story, basically. So let's just turn to, to the to the November uh, uh, high frequency data, where the ones we looked at last time. Um, I've updated these. So here we are in December 2020. Um, there's an interesting up chart up here, which is the Federal Reserve put a, put together a mobility index. Uh, basically, this was them measuring, you know, how how people move around, and uh, they got it from Apple and Google. But it's a it's a combination of the number of devices that leave their home every day, um, or that they're you know that they stay you know more than three hours uh, away from their home, or they travel more than about uh, five miles away from their home. So basically, in a lockdown, no one's moving, um, and so you know there's very little activity going on here. And it this this shows the change from twenty. Uh, January 2020. So uh, if we sat here back in April, people essentially had ceased to move. Um, there's almost a 100% decline in, uh, in, in mobility. And then, it be, then it began to tick up. And it, it's holding up here, which is good. So now it's around about, depending on the state uh, and the US, it's around about uh, you know, 40% below what it was uh, in, in January. So uh, that's a lot better than what we saw in the early spring. It's taken a bit of a dip down recently. That's probably because you've seen some of these these states, especially Texas, which is the one that counts because much bigger state than the other two here. Um, you know, putting a little bit more curves on movement, uh, either putting in uh, re requirements that people not move, or um, uh, or people just voluntarily saying, "I don't want to move because it's going to put me in danger." I mean, in the U.S., in in Texas, for example. You know, Fort Hood, Texas, outside of Austin, has about 150,000 people there, um, and that's just the uh, military personnel. So, um, there's the, you know, they, they're the federal government, and they're the army that muck about with this stuff. So they, they've actually put, um, you know, huge restrictions on mobility. So you'd expect those to come down uh, quite a little bit, but they're certainly a better, a lot better than they were. This is the TSA checkpoints. Again, uh, we've seen this kind of, you know, gradual increase. Um, you know, there's that little spike ahead of Thanksgiving, then it's come down a little bit. But again, they're kind of trending higher. I mean, not not dramatically higher, but better. Um, and then the last one is uh, is in the, from uh, uh, Open Table. So this is the restaurant booking. So there's that's not a mistake. They obviously went to zero. Um, nearly all these major states closed down uh, restaurants. So they've begun to pick up and then we've seen this upturn and then this decline recently again. But I think these are, uh, you know, obviously we've got new mandates here in California. I think people are, are going to stay put for a while, uh, but then eventually they'll, you know, come back and it, it's not going to go down to the same level it was before. Um, I've also mentioned that, um, uh, you know, this, the pandemic has really hurt lower paid people much more than uh, people with um, you know good salaries, good incomes. I mean, the uh, you know if you were in something like bartending or cleaning or ho home uh, hotel service work, you know typically a lot of people that work 22 hours a week, not by choice because that's the way they employers avoid having to pay them um, uh, uh, benefits. Um, the a lot of those people lost their jobs, um, but they weren't as big a spenders as the people who retained their jobs. So there's been this 
you know, ongoing uh, um, almost boom in, uh, in, in people wanting to buy trucks and cars. We mentioned this before. That's something which you feel confident about and you feel you can get a loan and you feel that you can afford that type of expenditure, then, uh, then you can do it pretty quickly. And that's snapped back very well. Um, and it's the same. And also, I think people, you know, buying more cars, they might have delayed purchases of it because they 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 don't want to take public transport, or they got more. Um, you know, they, they need to be more mobile. And it's the same thing with the uh, U.S. home sales, which uh, uh, you know kind of went down briefly, but then just kind of roared right back, and we're at a level which we haven't seen since 2007. Um, now, part of that is the kind of the millennial that, that won't go to demographics today, but there is this millennial, the 25, 35 year olds who are you know, a bigger cohort than the boomers, because the boomers are dying. Uh, but this is, um, these, a lot of these people uh, postponed house forma household formation, families, all those things, because they came out of college in 2008, and um, it wasn't a particularly good time to hit the economy, to hit the workforce. So they've delayed a lot of these purchases, but now they're, I think that's sort of beginning to think about, you know, coming back to you know, buying houses. So there's a, there's a, there's a, so a demographic boom behind housing. Uh, a lot of people also moving out of the city. Uh, low mortgage rates makes it attractive to buy houses uh, and start moving around. Uh, and of course, down here is an indication of supply. But um, uh, the, the supply has been uh, has been very much you know constrained uh, compared to prior years. So you know the, this this number up here. It's only just now that you know the number of new home sales is coming down to the long-term average of the population growth. You know, for all of this time up here, we weren't building enough houses, so there's enough. There's been a lot of uh, supply issues as well, uh, to kind of keep people working on uh, going out and buying houses. Because turning our attention to the stock market, uh, I would like to remind myself of this: that the uh, that the the changes in prices can be very dramatic. Obviously, we saw this 35% uh, decline in the S and P here. It's the black line sort of going back to cast uh, your mind back to uh, March, um, you know, where we saw precipitous, precipitous change. But things like dividends and earnings per share were not nearly as volatile. And in percentage terms, um, you know, we went from about $145 per share on the S&P to $120. Well, compare that to what happened in 2007, where we went from about 80, you know, down to 40. And that's because all of the banks and all the guys that we thought were doing really well turned out to be uh, um, have rather dodgy finances and, and accounting methodology. And so the downturn was very, very extreme in earnings. Here it's not. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's just certainly large parts of the S&P are very, you know, you know, very affected by the downturn in demand. And if you're someone like, you know, a hotel chain or uh, casinos, uh, all the um, uh, cruise ships or you know all, essentially all of your earnings uh, sales went away revenue went away but if you take the uh, S&P as a whole uh, the earnings decline has been pretty modest considering we had this big decline in GDP again why because this wasn't a GDP this wasn't a recession initiated by uh, a financial crash or high interest rates or um, any other sort of asset bubble it was it was just a withdrawal of purchasing uh, uh, by uh, by the population lockdown. So I think that number is going to start, you know, increasing pretty rapidly uh, over 2021. Uh, Goldman Sachs guys seem to think it's going to be about $175, which is a heck of a big increase. Um, but it might well be done because some of these cyclical companies don't need, I mean, think of an airline, 
it only needs to go from 40% load to 60% load and they get, you know, because of the marginal cost of carrying a passenger is very, very low, it hits their bottom line very, very quickly. And there's a lot of um, industries like that, which, uh, which will come back very quickly. Dividends has been a bright spot. Um, there's, there were some, you know, cuts in dividends, especially from the financial companies who are told to uh, hold back on dividend distributions by the Fed, but uh, some of those have been relaxed. Um, so the dividend uh, number has been very well supported. I just did a quick uh, review this morning of uh, companies that um, have increased their uh, dividends over one year. It's about 80 in the S&P. Now, that doesn't make it sound like a lot, 80 out of 500, but remember, there's only about 350 companies in the S&P which pay dividends. There's plenty like you know Facebook and Google, and we all know who they are, don't pay dividends. They tend to you know return the share, the, the cash via share buybacks. But... Um, so it's pretty impressive, I think, that you've got, um, you know, this is some financials in here, Comerica Citizens, Northern Trust, and so on, just going to reading along the x-axis here. But there's others as well where there's been some pretty robust uh, dividend growth. So if you're a CFO, CEO, you don't increase dividends if you think you're going out of business or, you know, you'd see you know, much tougher times ahead. So I think this is a good sign that, you know, we're asked nearly on a daily basis, why is the stock market so high when everything I look around me looks so terrible? is again, uh, in, order, in, in addition to the normal answer, the S&P is not the economy, uh, it doesn't look anything like it. Um, you've also got um, things like this happening where, where companies are actually you know, husbanding their, their resources and cash and feel that they can pay uh, dividends to shareholders. Since we last talked also, we've seen a much better rally in a smaller mid cap, you know, it's very much a large cap, uh, led uh, rally um, out of the out of the gates and the top five this is the Microsoft Apple Facebook Google Amazon gang great guys 30% of the S&P uh, obviously kind of roaring ahead it's been a little bit flat over the last few months but if you know you can see that while they were sort of flat the small and mid cap this is the S&P 600 and the S&P 400 rallied a lot so they rallied from you know 80 to in the case of the uh, S&P 600, 105. So what's that, a 20, 22% uh, increase uh, while these guys were flat. So that's really good news because um, uh, if it was concentrated in the large cap tech, that's one thing. We could certainly make money from that. That was a good thing. Plenty of spillover effect, work from home, cloud computing, all those kind of things, which are very important and very growthy. Uh, but you need to see the uh, the, the the um, recovery spread out a little bit. And so um, we've seen that with the smaller mid cap rallies and we think they'll continue to run, especially into 2021. Uh, we've also seen, um, you know, the cyclical place. So the, the, the uh, I'll, we'll talk about the industrials here because it's really a misnomer, but I will talk about the transportation index. So this is, you know, FedEx, UPS, a couple of the railroads, CSX, I think, you know, they'll move a lot of, uh, uh, freight around. Um, there's a uh, there's a uh, Jibby Hunt, which is a trucking company, which you probably see on the highway a lot. Um, and there's Kirby, which is a barge company, which if you live in the Midwest, you see that barges taking um, all sorts of produce up and down the major watery arteries. Um, and there's also the airline stocks, which haven't recovered very well. But my point is that transportation is very, very uh, cyclically sensitive. These are stocks which um, you know, our, our early plays, you know, they, 
they they fall early in a cycle, you know, because their volume drops away quickly. They can't cut their costs uh, quick enough, but they come back very quickly if they see upticks in volume. So the fact that the transportation index, which is you know just normally doesn't get a you know any respect uh, from investors because it's full of these um, you know kind of old world stocks which are considered to be all X growth, has done really very well. Um, so again, from its low back in October, we're looking at um, you know a 15, 16% increase uh, and outperforming the S&P. So that's good. You know, with the small and mid and the early cycle plays coming into the market, that means that we're talking much more about a broader market than just the uh, tech guys. And the international too. Uh, and this is in dollar terms. So uh, the, one of the themes um, has been dollar weakness for the last few months. Um, I won't go into it other than we continue to think that the dollar will kind of gradually uh, weaken over the next uh, year or so. It's mostly to do with interest rate differential. But uh, these markets, um, a black one is Japan. Japan's the stock market today, well, it's record high with foreign fortune back in 1989, um, and it won't touch that again. But um, but but it's 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 high. It's its best for in about 32 years. Uh, so Japan has um, not suffered from COVID. Uh, on the health side, uh, but it certainly suffered from an economic side, given it, giving its trading uh, prowess and industries. Uh, but they've they've come back. Uh, the other line is the European stock markets, and the, the blue one is the uh, um, is just is just a German index, uh, which is a component of this European one. But the story is here. Look, there's quite a good snapback here. Um, so again, when we come away from big tech, we've seen a broader market participation in the S&P, we've seen smaller mid-cap come up, and we've also seen these international markets come up. And there's another chart, which I've got time for, which will also show it happening in emerging markets. So uh, let's put all that together. Um, kind of where are we kind of going into uh, the last uh, stretch for the year? Um, I think, you know, US large caps are going to stay in focus. The tech companies are just too big, too powerful. I'm not too concerned, it's a different story, but uh, about the re-regulation or regulatory sort of overhang that these guys might have. Obviously they're being um, coming out from two sides with the DOJ and you know, various other kind of uh, government investigations. I think if anything, they certainly showed it under Obama, but I don't think Biden is gonna do the same thing because you'll catch a lot of flack for it. But uh, you know, the, under Obama, the, the tech companies could do no wrong. They, 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 um, it just kind of uh, continued to grow and no one uh, on the antitrust suit, you know, laid a finger on them. I don't think that's gonna happen quite again, but I wouldn't be too concerned about the, uh, you know, the, the, um, sort of the, uh, the sort of antitrust uh, push against tech. I think the fiscal side coming vaccine here in some places, plus the Fed, you know, combined that it's got a very strong growth coming on from especially 2020, uh, second quarter of 2021 on. We just got to get through the next uh, month or so. More and more sectors are coming into play. Uh, I think the tax reforms, we haven't heard much news about them, obviously, because we haven't had the clean sweep, which was an expectation last time we met. Uh, but I don't think they're going to have any uh, effect on the market at all. The corporation tax, if it goes up a couple of points or two, it will make very little difference. There'll be some howling from certain quarters, but um, uh, really the the the, the effective tax rate and the and the actual uh, sort of regulatory or standardized tax rate are two very different things, and there's there's a differential of almost fifteen percent. So I'm not concerned about that. I think tech IPOs, we've got a couple coming up: uh, Airbnb, DoorDash. I don't pretend to know much about them other than 
the tech IPOs have been going generally quite well. I think that helps sentiment, helps the, it helps the retail part of investing. Um, and I think they're getting away, uh, you know, in, into the market at, at quite solid um, stories behind them. M&A, uh, very important. It's been very big this year. It's about 1.6 trillion. Now, uh, the S&P is capitalized about 32 trillion. So that's about three or four percent of the um, uh, of, of the uh, of the S of the S and P. Now it's not all in the S and P, but um, but that's still a very big number, and I think it's the biggest number we've seen in quite a while. And a lot of these bids are for cash, so um, you know, it'd be one thing if they were stock deals or uh, heavily financed by debt. A lot of them are just you know trading for cash, and that means that not only does that help the kind of general story about okay, which companies are next on the M and A side, and obviously saw some big ones last week with S and P and IHS, which is a data supplier. Uh, and also Salesforce and Slack, I think. But um, but again, those are you know fairly big, fairly big numbers. It means that the cash is coming back into the market. So if you're a shareholder of Slack, you're going to get your uh, you know your money back, and you, know, you can either spend it maybe, uh, or you'll probably reinvest it into the market most likely. So that's that's going to happen on a very large scale. Um, on the short-term risk, clearly, you know, it's all about how much gets closed and how much damage gets done in the in the next wave. I don't know if there's going to be a wave coming out of the whole Thanksgiving thing. People seem to think there is, but um, I think it's you know the, the weather related and the uh, and the uptick we're having uh, is going to be a short-term risk. Um, Longer-term risk is you know how long the how long it takes for the labor force to recover. If it's like a post GFC. It'll be a long time, but I think it'll be quicker than that, uh, just because, again, a lot of industries haven't been permanently damaged, which is what they were in 2007. Um, I think we'll see the earnings rise by about 30% in 2021. I've already mentioned that. We're at about $130, $40 on the S&P, put it up to about $160, $70. If you want to go with the Goldman Sachs estimates, they're at the top end of the range, but that puts the market on about a P of 20 to 21, which is expensive. Um, but you know, not dramatically so, and I think is somewhat justified by the growth and also the fact that interest rates and inflation is so low. The Fed for now is going to be on, uh, you know, on on full ease mode, as is every other central bank in the world. So they're really not an issue right now, uh, a source of worry. If anything, uh, they'll 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 intervene if they have to. But right now, they're pushing for fiscal response as much as loudly and as uh, and as directly as they can possibly do. And I think that's what we're going to you know, see, which will help uh, the market into 2021. So, uh, well, look, thanks very much. It's uh, kind of a race through on everything, but I know it's been a tough year for investors and, and everybody on lockdown. Um, I've got a couple of questions here, which I want to make sure I cover. Um, but uh, we feel pretty confident about the market. I don't think there's any kind of major setback likely other than the kind of risks we've identified. We're kind of in a slow process where now the vaccine, I think, is going to help things uh, a lot. Um, and, and the markets, I think, are, uh, are, you know, are poised for a fairly good 2021. And it's especially nice to see the fact that the market broadened out a lot over the last month or two. Let me just take in a rest now. Um, because November was so good, it meant a lot of portfolios ended up rebalancing. But um, but I, th I think for now we'll be in a sort of a fairly quiet period through the end of the year. Let's see if I can get the Q and A going. Um, yeah, I see the questions. I think I have to stop sharing to get them. Let me do that. Uh,
So I don't know what you're looking at right now. Here we go. What is the, the what has overall been the impact of the Trump tariff wars? What do you predict on the longer term effect going into 2021, 22? I think the tariff wars have just been, you know, annoying, uh, irritating more than anything else. Um, they've uh, the, the the big issue I think in 2019 was that every Friday you had some sort of you know bellicose and um, call coming from the White House or Leitzinger or one of those tariff trade guys, you know, talking about how they were going to uh, win the war against China. Uh, everybody expected that, you know, the tariffs coming into the US would end up being being, being paid for by consumers. They were. Uh, import taxes went up. They went up from about 20 billion to 70 billion. So, you know, tax is a collection of revenue. Who pays it? The people who are importing the goods. So it it the the initial effect was um, was deflationary and and uh, and and sort of anti-growth. Now uh, they've had very little impact. I mean, the trade numbers came out on Friday. They were higher than they were, uh, you know, uh, 67 billion, something like that. They were about you know 50 billion when Trump started all this stuff. So they've had no effect on the trade balance at all. That makes sense because. You know, if you've got a consumer recovery, which is what we've had, the the U.S. buy a lot of consumer goods, which are which are made in China, starting with your cell phone and you know electronic goods, uh, household goods, and so on. Uh, we tend to export more capital items, and uh, and we're not in a period right now where people are buying a lot of capital uh, capital expenditure. And we also do well on on services trade, so that's can be vacations and airlines and uh, you know everything from legal and accounting service asset management service all these things which are invisibles which show up on the uh, total trade but not on the not on the uh, um, trade for goods i think uh, my my guess is that 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 biden's not going to just kind of go back to pre trump days uh, i think there'll be a bit more of a negotiated negotiations both with the eu uh, and um, and China, but if I was in a large company exporting stuff, um, or in, in a company dependent on a lot of imports, I'd be bringing a, a lot more sigh of relief uh, going into 21, 22 than I was, uh, you know, earlier this year, where you just really didn't know what the hell they were trying to do. Um, seeing as you're no stranger to the robust recovery that happens after downfalls, what additional moves might you make to prepare for the up for the coming uptick? Um, one of the things that we're probably going to be doing is uh, is moving a little bit out of treasuries. You know, more, more to come on that because we think they're kind of you know sideways, and we rather we feel that they've really done a, a great job for us in protecting us against from downside. Um, but they're probably going to uh, stay at this level for a while. We also might cut a little cut a little bit back on our our value exposure, which we do have, just because they've done well so so recently. Um, and uh, you know, continue to sort of build up our, our growth allocation. So that's probably the two major things. We've got enough international and emerging markets and small companies; those are done done well. So um, we won't be uh, increasing on those, but uh, we'll continue to do those. What are you asking Santa to bring you for Christmas? Um, uh, <laughs> um, I just a. A respite from the tweet storms that we all have to, you know, uh, subjugate ourselves to on a daily basis would be awfully nice. I hope a certain somebody goes to Florida and stays there. Uh, could you comment on U.S. competitive globally and how that might affect U.S. growth and economic health? Um, 
I think the U.S. is very competitive uh, economy. Uh, I mean, productivity uh, growth has slowed a little bit in the U.S., um, but that's partly a factor that we, you know, we we have more services in the economy than uh, than countries which are which are you know still on an earlier path of deindustrialization. I think our biggest competitive assets are the size of our domestic market. I mean, that's the reason I think that the, you know, the global tech companies um, are all US dominated. They can get to, you know, a couple of hundred million consumers um, and no other country other than China can come close to that. Uh, so um, I think we ha our competitiveness is, is pretty good. The, the dollar weakness will help a little bit um, on that. Uh, but we've also got, you know, a very, a very, you know, fluid labor market, which, uh, which, which I think makes us uh, fairly competitive. So I think if I was a, you know, not not U.S. based and worried about U.S. liabilities and therefore had to think about U.S. assets all the time, I'd still have a very large part of my uh, global portfolio in the U.S. I just think uh, companies' abilities to innovate here are uh, are are. Uh, you know, unparalleled. So obviously we like that. Thank you. It looks like we have no open questions. Thanks so much for staying with us. Um, if you have any email or questions or follow-ups, please share them with us. Seathwaite's one uh, uh, at um, Brown Janikowski. You're very welcome. Thank you, uh, that, that person. Um, and um, uh, if, if any other questions, please uh, talk to your wealth advisor. We're happy to uh, answer anything we can and wish you all a very uh, happy rest of December and New Year and uh, look forward to catching up with you again soon. Thank you.